Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fitbiomics. A Harvard doctor has found a probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Hey, hello, everyone. Welcome to Over the Wall with Kevin Flynn and Chris Chamonix. Well, a lot to talk about, Mr. Chamonix, this week. Apparently awful U.S. Men National Team jerseys debuted. Seemed like everybody hated them, even the players, which is odd. Uh, big weekend in the premise uh, as a 15-year-old makes his debut. A 15-year-old. Unbelievable. Holland continues his tear, or Holland. I guess I don't want to confuse him with the country, but the guy plays like an entire country. Hostile <laughs> takeover at Man U. American uh, taking over ownership at Bournemouth. Lewandowski kicking ass and taking names in La Liga as Barcelona at the top of the table. Real Madrid against Atletico. Uh, I guess some some racist stuff that popped up. Great. Good times. Uh, and we want a Loyola Marymount di- uh, update. What's happening, buddy? How are you? Good. That, what a fantastic intro. What You covered so many things. I'm very impressed with that. Well, that's like- all the time we have on Over the Ball, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do, you know, look, every week we I, I look at what we, I want to talk about, what I think maybe you want to talk about, what we won't agree on, because that makes better podcasting. But the soccer world is so huge. I just got to figure out what the hell to talk about it each week because we don't have the time for everything. So, yeah. That's Where do you want to start? Where do you want to start? Well, First, with, I guess, with the U.S. Men's National Team jerseys, because you know me, I love talking about them the most. Um, I guess everybody, no one liked it. They're Nike jerseys. Um, nothing against Nike, but uh, I, I guess they don't like them. I think especially the away jerseys kind of look like a little bit of a tie-dye, Grateful Dead sort of thing, um, which I'm sure some people like. But but uh, but no, I, I guess even the players said, we told them, we told them, and it didn't matter. So uh Ah, I didn't catch that. Yeah. yeah. I think I think I think there's two there's two people out there. There's the people like me who couldn't care less about the uniform strip. Oh, right. And yeah. then there's the majority of people who actually care and want to see how it looks and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know, I just don't have bandwidth for it. I don't really care. But at the same time, you know, every now and then something will come out where you don't particularly like, like that denim kind of look from back in the day that we well, had. Well, but but that is a huge. That was '94, and that was a huge. Uh, it's big on eBay now. That's one that people want. So I guess the jersey that they have now, the home jersey is white with red and uh, and blue stripes on each sleeve. But it's similar. Everyone's saying to what American football jerseys are, and the away uniform, the one I talked about, the Deadhead one, is a uh, blue and dark blue tie dye. Um, yeah, the the Amer- the white one has like I'm kind of fine with it, but the, like that front part right near the, under the collar where it's blue, it just seems like a a yeah. random blue odd shape right under your throat, which doesn't make much sense to me. So yeah. I didn't like that one. The blue, I mean, there is a trend across uniforms globally where there's there's some kind of print inside the color, and I think that's what they're kind of get going towards. Oh. Uh, but whatever. Well, well, yeah, I'm with you though. I don't give a shit what the what the shirts look like, and you know, the English call it kit wankers. You know, the guys who show up in the total uniform, even when you're doing a kick around or going to the games. And I used to do a joke on stage about the guys. I, I went to I went to a Yankee game, and I think I might have said this before, but I went to a Yankee game. And there's a guy sitting in front of me getting drunk with the whole Yankee uniform on. I mean, he's got the shirt. pants and i'm like oh my god and my daughter's with me and he's like he's yelling at the players 
And uh, he actually, you know, my daughter loved Derek, Derek Jeter, even though she's a Red Sox fan with me. And um, he yells out, Jeter, you suck because he's drunk. And then he turns to his girlfriend. He's like, yeah, I could have been a pro, but the, the coach and shit. I'm like, yeah. you could have been a pro, but the coach and shit. So I finally couldn't take it anymore. I tap him on the shoulder. I go, yeah, I know what you mean. I could have been a, a doctor, but the science and shit. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> so that whole, you know, wearing the uniform, but certain people collect them and all that stuff, man, I couldn't give the stuff away fast enough when I was, when I was getting it. But um, USA Today for the win, they got US finally unveiled the hideous, quote, hideous US men's national team World Cup kits and fans are not happy. The Independent said, people hate the new World Cup jerseys, Nike designed for the U.S. soccer. Um, worst kit I have ever seen, quote. And then ESPN was like, U.S. World Cup kits missed the mark with boring white and awful tie-dye effort. Those are English guys saying that, so I don't really, because that's what ESPN hires. Um, yeah. they, they call it kit, and uh, and we call it uniforms. Well, I'm, I wanna, I'm curious what you said about the, uh, the player's opinion. Like, I, I didn't. I would have assumed they had some kind of input and for something to come out that they're not happy with, that seems like that's really missing. The yeah. McKenny, McKenny was the one who said, uh, we told them. Yeah. And then they asked, uh, Eunice Musa and he said, um, he said, well, I would rank it probably in the middle of all the shirts that they showed us. <laughs> so, um, huh. anyway, we won't talk too much about shirts, but let, let's talk about some of the decisions that Burhalter made. Cause I always like you to put on your coach's hat. Um, okay. you know, when we have these sort of things, he brings Carlos uh, Ricardo Pepe back in for a little look see, um, you know. So it, it's interesting. He's recalled the 19 year old. You and I have talked about all the pressure that was put on that guy. He was like the you know the baby Jesus coming in, and it was like I think people who have been around the game for a long time said, "Will you give this young man, a very talented young man, a chance to develop and form?" So. Uh, Pepe has not scored a goal in more than 11 months, um, yet he was included in the 26-player roster for the September friendlies. So Berhalter went with uh, Jesus Ferreira, Pepe's former teammate at FC Dallas, uh, who's actually fourth in MLS right now with 18 goals. Josh Sargent, back with the national team for the first time in more than a year, thanks to a pretty uh, pretty good start. He's had six goals in nine games. I mean, that's that's pretty significant, I think, in the Premier League. Um, and uh, and you know, so and Pepe. So those are the three selections. Yeah. Not brought back are um uh, getting they got looks in March and June, respectively, were were Pifuck, who has two goals and three assists in five games for in the Bundesliga for Union Berlin. Hot What's his name? What do you call him? Uh, Jordan Pifuck. Pifuck. <laughs> you thought I'd throwing up the F bomb or something? So make sure. Peapock, yeah, Jordan Peapock. So, and he's played in the Bundesliga. So, um, and then Haji Wright's got five goals in six games in Turkey. And then, um, and Brendan Vasquez, who scored 16 goals for Cincinnati. So, uh, you know, he has choices. No one is the definitive sort of favorite. I think it was, uh, I think Pepe was the one who people are like, really? I think it was that third spot. And, and, you know, talking about, um, uh, Josh Sargent coming back. I, I thought Josh Sargent was too slow for the Premier League, but he's obviously uh, tailored his game a little bit and changed. So what are your thoughts? Because, you know, as a striker. Yeah. Coach, no, it's the- good to go through all the different positions. I, I mean, I, I like these kinds of conversations for us to, as a country, look right look right before the World Cup at the options. But, yeah, I mean, I think the Josh Sargent one, you know, it, he's recently been playing with some consistency at the nine and he has found some success and gotten some goals and you have to give him credit for that. Right. And so him being called in would be 
uh, a note towards, hey, we want to call in players who are in form, kind of like Ferreira, for example. But the one that doesn't make sense is the Pepe one compared to Pifolk, for example, because, right. you know, in the Bundesliga, they're top of the table uh, and he's scoring goals for them and he doesn't get called in and Pepe hasn't scored in a long time and he does get called in. So there's some kind of disconnect there. I don't know what that is. And, uh, you know, sometimes behind the scenes, the, the coach feels or the staff feels that this player doesn't fit in for whatever reason. And then when you look at the decision from a distance, it doesn't fit the criteria that the coach has laid out. And that's why coaches have to be careful not to get overly specific about what the criteria is, because then they paint themselves into corners and create controversies for themselves like this. All one. right. So. All right, coach. That's all good in theory. But here, all right, here's my perspective. I think he's bringing in Pepe. As his last shot, he wants to see what he's got. He didn't bring him in last time because he was in a new club, needed to go through preseason with them. Because you know how that is, Chris. You want to go to a, you want to go to preseason with the team. You get to know the guys, you get to know the coach, you get to know you know what your apartment, how you get to work each day. It's like it's pretty overwhelming at first, especially for a nineteen year old, you, you know, young man. So, yeah, but this isn't last shot time. This is no, no, like, this I, is I, a I, camp. This is a I, camp before the World Cup. I absolutely hear that, but I think you're talking about, I think he's made his decision with Jesus, and I think he's bringing Sargent back. I think it's the third spot that's up for, uh, you know, th that they're really playing for. So if Pifak and, and Haji Wright, uh, you know, they, they continue to play well, if they get a hot hand, they'll be brought in as that third place person. And I think in the meantime, it would be, you know, Pepe would really have to show something here. So wow, I would be surprised if there's that much movement between the players' stocks at this last go around. I mean, this this, in my opinion, should be final decision time. And you should be making your choices and going with it and saying, hey, we're we're running out of time for form. We have to pick the players in real time and make this the camp that prepares us for the World Cup. Because that in by definition is what this camp is based on this November World Cup. So they have to now organize their team in this camp because they only have one more camp after this and they're playing World Cup games. So I don't like all this like playing around and giving guys looks. This should be about building the team for the World Cup. A lot of injuries, too, um, you know, in the back, in the midfield. I mean, it's so it's it's going to be an interesting combination of players. But you're right. We're in the home stretch here. So um, I hope he's just browning the edges on his choices and selections. You're saying it should be fully baked at this point. So um, I guess with some of the injuries in the back, it has um, has changed the dynamic a little bit, but everything's really, I mean, I think the back was pretty set um, depending on health. Yeah. I feel, I feel bad for uh, Carter Vickers. You know, I think he's someone that has, you know, a lot of American fans don't really know about him because he's mm. just been on the outside of big clubs for a really long time. He was signed by yeah. Tottenham many years ago. He's been on loan forever um, he's never been to the big clubs like Chelsea, et cetera. He's always been on the fringes of those kinds of leagues and teams. And here he was getting a really good chance. Um, and, and he's got a, I think it's a small ankle thing. And I, I, I don't think this is going to rule him out, but I also think it's a bit of a setback for him because he probably could have shown his colors here and maybe gotten that final call. To that. Have you, uh, you know, I, I saw him play, I saw him play in Jersey with Tottenham. Uh, there was something lacking in his game. I couldn't quite figure it out it seemed like um he's a stud i mean the guy's uh he's a beast he really is he's a big guy and um yeah he's a tweener know, thought, we've talked about him before he's a tweener he's not really a big center back he's kind of undersized for that even though he's strong but he's a bit yeah. on the shorter side and he's not really right. like a 
a Dest or a Yedlin who can run up and down on the outsides because he's so big and strong. So he's right. like, he, he's just this in-betweener guy. Um, but I think he knows how to play to his strengths. And, I, you know, I, I understand, I think because of that tweener aspect physically, that's probably the the setback that he's had in his career to, to not get to the biggest clubs. Um, but I, I think he is good enough to potentially be at the at the bottom end of this roster um right hopefully the little ankle thing is something he can recover from and make it for the full squad it's interesting he's almost built like a midfielder interesting a stronger one yeah i mean yeah yeah he's he's a strong thick guy yeah yeah yeah. and and, you know i saw some interviews with him he's a he's a good dude so uh you know we hope for the best for all these guys um you know and, and we're look you know we're getting close so um watching did you watch any prem this weekend a little bit yeah uh Holland continues is a beast i mean man yeah. city i i you know the wolves played well i thought uh they you know a, a terrible uh, red card against uh, jack grealish a grealish who put one in really early um he responded to criticism over the week uh, by with you know scoring an early goal um and son for tottenham hat trick we could talk about that a little bit, but I got a Halan's goal. Oh my God. Did you see that thing? That was yeah. muscle scale. That was everything. That was him in a, in a, in a nutshell. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, you, you can talk for an hour just on this, you know, because it's like the ball in, first of all, from Cancelo outside of the foot, a little bit like Modric last year in the champions league. But when Cancelo looks up, like, there's no way Holland is open. Like you normally would not play that ball because there's just no window to play it through. Um, but he finds a way to kind of put it in a spot where it, it, the, the equivalent I've been thinking of in terms of talking to people about this play has been like, if you have Shaq on your team and he's in the yeah. post, you just got to dump it into the post. He's going to get it. And he's going to put it in. And it's, this is like having Shaq in the box. Like you just put it up and in there and he's going to grab it. And so his ability to hold on, to jump and contort his body and get something on it and beat the keeper, uh, it's mind boggling. It's the, the only one that, you know, the Pep talked about it in a really good way in his press conference where, you know, he talked about really only someone like Ibrahimovic can do this. And it was reminiscent of the goal. Uh, Johan Cruyff scored against Atletico Madrid back in the day where he did it out um, to the opposite post on the left post, but like amazing, very few of these types of goals have been scored through the years. And if Holland is scoring goals like that for a team like city, that's already really good. What is yeah. the, what is the ceiling for this team this year? It's scary to think about. You know, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it seemed like a, the way a small person can contort their body, a young, a, like an athletic uh, six foot person. You know, because big guys can't move that well. I remember when I was doing comedy in Boston, I was at Nick's Comedy Stop one night and I watched this guy walk in and he was about six foot four or five and big. And he hopped up the stairs and I went, who is that? He just moved up the stairs like a like a like a little person. And it was Darren Varis. He was one of the linemen for the Patriots. I said that big and that athletic, you're getting paid a big big money thing. So I think yeah. you're right, you know, with saying uh, Ibrahimovic, because Ibrahimovic has done those sort of contorting things, uh, you know, that for a guy that size is badass. So um, length of body, uh, contorting his body, the technique that it took, it was just, it was just amazing. Yeah. And the, and the, and the assist was pretty amazing as well, outside of his right boot in, you know, up and over. The line and it was just amazing to watch. It's so fun. It's so fun to watch. Yeah, it's fun to watch what he brings to that team and what you know, it's just an added dimension right now that they have. Um, 
they've been actually undersized in that position for quite a few years. And now he brings a whole nother feature to their game, both on set pieces and through the run of play. But, you know, you only have to go back that far. We, I know we've talked about Jesse Marsh a lot in, in mm-hmm. on this podcast recently. And, you know, Jesse had Holland at Red Bull Salzburg a few years back before. Yeah, really? Yeah. Before Holland was at Dortmund. And even back then, Jesse was saying that, you know, this this guy will be one of the best forwards in the world one day. This, this, this guy. And, well, you know, you, that you, time you, is you know, now. You talked about Man City. Uh, you know, our mutual friend, Michael Gibbons, scored 14 goals his senior year at UMass. Uh, he would he would miss opportunities, but he, it didn't bother him because he was going to get another one. He had breakaway speed. And if you look at like Sterling, Sterling would miss all kinds of goals that were created by this great man, man city machine. Um, because he's he was so fast he'd get and he'd blow it. Like he didn't have the composure. Right. This guy does not miss his opportunities that are given to him. He creates people say half chances. I'd say quarter chances. I mean, that, that wasn't even a half chance what he mm-hmm. finished there. So I think they're going to take the league. I think they're going to take champions league. And then who knows, Pep's got the monkey off his back. He's won it all. And he'll move on. Maybe he'll come, he'll come here and coach LAFC or something. Who knows? Wow. I don't know if he'd move on. I mean, there's only a few clubs in the world that can take him and pay him, you yeah. know? So I don't know if he'd go back to Barcelona one day, but he probably needs to let things settle there first. But yeah, it'll be interesting Champions League wise. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about Liverpool and the downturn that they're taking. And part of it's because yeah. of so many games that they've played. And, uh, you know, that the, the adding up of those miles over years and not having yeah. breaks and things like that. And City's similar. Um, and so you wonder how they can their health and fitness through a long campaign like this, because the Premier League is so hard. You don't get easy games in the Premier League. You kind of do in France, you know, so like PSG yeah. will come into these Champions League games a little bit more rested, let's say. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how they can, you know, keep themselves on the right track. And if their defense can get back to their top form, because they're not really in top form yet. If they can get to that top form and click come springtime, I think they'll be the toughest team to beat in the Champions League. You know, it's funny, though. Here we are talking about this, and you can't just keep your eye on the Premier League right now because the World Cup's coming, and it's going to be a game changer, literally. You know, So uh, it's going to be two different seasons. Um, a lot's going to happen. Uh, a lot of stars will be born. A lot of pe- players will get hurt. Uh, so do you think these guys are going to be tired coming back from the World Cup or in the World Cup? Yeah, I mean, the break is going to be funky. You know, no coach has ever gone through a November break like this before. Neither have the players. And some teams are going to get eliminated right away, you know. So it's only three games, quote unquote. And then you have some downtime, actually. Uh, And then there's going to be other teams that make deep runs. And you're not going to, you're going to miss your player for at least a month. And when they come back, they're probably going to need some kind of a break. So it's a, it's a bizarre, uh, you know, wrench in the calendar and no one's navigated this before. So it'll be really interesting to see how this works. You know, when you're on a roll, you don't want to break. So like teams that right. are rolling pretty good don't want this World Cup break. I think Liverpool might welcome it. Um, and this way they'll reboot mentally and physically uh, for the return. So I don't be, know. You every know, team will be in a different spot. They started slow last year and they're certainly starting slow this year. But even last year, I thought they got unlucky early. This time they seem anemic. Uh, they didn't start slow last year, Kevin. They, they they lost two games all year long last year, all year long in all competitions, and still didn't come home with the Premier League or the Champions League. If yeah, they maybe didn't th- win, they tied. Maybe I'm thinking two years back it, since quarantine, everything my COVID brain is going slow, and all you know the what's weird? Blended to one. <laughs> the last three years, just say, like one. 
heard a comedian say recently that, you know, he's pretty sure he's had COVID 15 times already. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, that kind of sounds right. You know, I think we've all had it about 15 times. Uh, but, to be a comic, you have to have COVID 15 times. Yeah. Stay, that, that dirty mic, they used to wipe it off. Now they don't, you know, you got uh, some 22 year olds spitting into it. It's like, all right, I'm going to pass. Uh, I would love it if you showed up and just with your own mic and just replaced yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't get <laughs> shit on by the boys too badly. But, hey, but you want to know something really interesting about Klopp? Is Klopp has had three tenures. He's coached at Mainz in Germany, Dortmund in Germany, and Liverpool mm-hmm. now in the Premier League. And his teams have always unwound in year seven. And this is year seven for him at Liverpool. And this is their worst start they've ever had. What's your and, theory on that as a coach? Well, I, I think there's, there could be just circumstances that are just random and there's not much of a theory behind it, but it also could be that his messaging and the amount that his teams run, which is very high, it just yeah. eventually runs people into the ground. Um, right. So we'll see. And that's why this World Cup could be a blessing for Liverpool because it's an internal reboot that they, they don't have a choice. They have to take this time off uh, and it might allow like them to reboot, but like the number of games that they've played because they've been so successful guys like Robertson are breaking down now. And all these guys that have yeah. always been so reliable, um, you know, it's it. I wonder if there's something there. I think it takes a deeper dive to actually get into it, but I saw that recently. And I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of remarkable. Cause when he left, uh, Dortmund, you know, they were really starting to unwind and he left. I remember. Right time. Yeah. yeah. Remember that, you know, and I, I've, I've said this before to you, but um, I had dinner with John Calipari one night and he was talking about the, the difference. I was asking the difference between the pros coaching pros yeah. and coaching college kids. He said, you got kids for four years. Really Calipari, Calipari has them for two years usually or one, mm-hmm. but you can yell and scream at them and motivate them in lots of different ways. When the pros, the top pros, you can go at them, he said, maybe twice a year, really hard to say, it's, you know, really lay into them um, in a long season. And I think part of that is, I don't know if it's the boy who cried wolf after a while uh, kind of thing, um, but how many times we're watching Liverpool go to the well um, late in the game and, and, you know, the substitutions and the competition. And I don't know. So I, I think you're right. I think there's a fatigue factor coming in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't even think it's about the extremes of like having a go at a team and yelling. I, I think sometimes it's more so just the, you know, every coach emphasizes different things. And so when you're, when you're in the locker room and you're emphasizing certain things time and time again, year upon year, um, it can get stale. It can get well, stale well, for the coach. Well, here's well. Here's the, so we talked about this before you've taken over a college program. Congratulations, by the way, you're two Oh and four. Yes, the only the only uh, women teams in the country that's undefeated. One of twelve, right? Something like that. I think it's twenty. I heard today. Yeah, twenty. But but, dude, first of all, congratulations. That's amazing. Amazing because they went twenty-one games without a win, and um, here here. But my point is, you have stepped in here. You're trying to develop an infrastructure with these women. Uh, uh, This is the way we do business here at LM. You know, Loyola Marymount. This is how we practice. This is how we play. All this. Um, you have them for four years at, at or one or two, right? Because they're, they, they graduate out and you didn't even recruit these, these, you've taken over another program. So even having said that you have a college coaches do not last like they used to. Do you remember like Daryl Royal and all these coaches, you know, uh, I'm going way back here, um, you know, for, for some of these coaches of all these teams, these legendary coaches, they'd be with a program for 25 years. And that just doesn't happen anymore because the pressure is too high. The stakes are too high. So I think, you know, you can motivate these women 
at the end game four years and they've, they've listened to you. And then you have the older women are teaching the younger ones how, you know, what, what your style is and everything. But I think you're right. I think after seven years with a lot of the same players, uh, I've been there, done that, man. You know, and Mane leaves maybe because if that's one of the reasons he smelled what was going on. Yeah. It's curious. I mean, if you think of any person has the personality to keep it fresh, it's someone like a Klopp, especially, you know, with the success they've had and the personality that he has, but I don't think anyone is, uh, you know, protected from this. I think there's there's a job that coaches have to, you know, keep things fresh. And and what a lot of coaches will do is change the team. You know, they'll change right. key players in the team in order to reinvent the group. Uh, and, you know, like Belichick has always been good at that. Um you know, I'm trying to think of uh, and it, that... it also keeps it also keeps other players hungry and scared. It keeps, yes, it keeps players hungry, coaches hungry, everyone on the edge of their seat, and it kind of it kind of allows you to um, yeah keep it fresh. And so, you know, now if you have success, like let's say the Patriots, you know, mm-hmm. you, you're bringing in new people who want their first ring, and so that keeps the locker room juiced up, as opposed to guys who are going for their fourth ring or their fifth ring because that gets stale. And so you, you keep it reinjecting energy into to the group um that works but you know there's been a really really core group at uh at liverpool of, of their yeah. squad there's only you know the previous coach was brendan rogers which by the way i think his days are numbered at least oh um, my god I, i'm surprised he still has a job today yeah. I, thought, I, I, thought I, my- I think he's just waiting it out for the, yeah. the shoe to fall and then he'll land on his feet next but anyway the <laughs> the 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 liverpool group has has four players from that Brendan Rogers time that have stuck around all the way through this club time, only four, but the core group around those four have been pretty consistent. So it's a lot of players getting a lot of minutes, having a lot of success, but also hearing the same coach for a lot of time. They haven't really freshened up the squad too much. And that's where maybe some of the stale messaging might be. Yeah. All right. Well, he's, you know, Milner and, and, you know, Firmino really have seemed to, Pete and they're on the downward trend, I think. So, uh, and I know he's really, he's big fans of theirs, but this is a professional game and they'll start to move on. Hey, talking about, you know, one guy that can make a difference with Halan, but you're, you're talking um, just the rich get richer there. Lewandowski, man, he's kicking ass at Barcelona. Um, he's a big physical presence as well, but well-skilled, you know, gets his head on balls that, you know, he shouldn't. Um but look, he's turned their fortunes around right away. And I don't know how Barcelona does business. They're just, it's so bizarre asking people to, to give money back than spending other money, but saying, you know, uh, it's just, I, I can't even keep track of it all. Yeah, I'm confused as well. And, and they came out, I think it was today or yesterday, saying that they turned like a $98 million profit after all. And well, why did we get rid of Messi? I, you know, I'm confused uh, yeah. with what's going on there, what's real, what's not real. But in, in that vacuum of... Barca's demise and pandemic. Real Madrid has just reasserted themselves yet again. Um, they're still, you know, without a loss. They've won Champions League again. They've won La Liga again. Mm-hmm. And so Barcelona had to do something. And Xavi's under some pressure, of course. And, and so getting Lewandowski, which we all saw the writing on the wall where he was going to go, he wanted the change as well. Yeah. Which is like the other end of the spectrum. Like Lewandowski wanted a change. He certainly could have stayed at Bayern and, and uh, you know, won again. You know, and you get to certain stages in your career, 
I mean, even me, I went to LMU. I left the number one team in the country, just won a national championship just because I wanted a different challenge in life. Right, and right. Sometimes players want a different chapter as well. So he he gets to Barcelona. I mean, he's talented. He's going to score goals wherever he is. Yeah, and Messi. Now, Messi did the same thing. Messi did the same thing. Mane did the same thing. But no, no, Messi didn't. I don't think Messi ever wanted to leave. I think the dysfunction yeah. behind the scenes there ultimately led to It became to too leaving. much. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think, right. you know, him crying at the press conferences because he doesn't really want to leave in that situation. Which is what I love uh, about him. One of the, the many reasons why I love watching that guy play and how he plays makes other players better. And you knew that he was married to Barcelona. That was his th- deal. They screwed up, not him. Yeah. Um, big pushback. Uh, I guess there's a hostile takeover bid at Manchester United. I, you know, Manchester United fans annoy the shit out of me just because it's sort of like they had it good for so long. Um they have these owners, these owners that have spent a ton of money on Manchester United, taking the player personnel and the coach, their word, the manager, they buy these players, spending all this money, and the fans still aren't happy because they're not winning. Like, like the owners have a problem with it. I could see the Newcastle owner, that guy who was rich and he was just using it as like a tax write-off, wasn't spending the money. How do you get so pissed at the Glazers when they're spending so much money and, oh, you're going to have a hostile takeover because it's, Amer- it's an English an English team. Yeah, well, we all have to watch the Queen get buried. So, uh, you know, it's, you know, we all, we all have to watch stuff we don't want. I don't know if that makes any wow. sense. Way to know. crowbar the Queen into this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Irish. I've had enough of the Queen. Give me a break. She seems like a very sweet lady, but give me a break. And by the way, like I said last week, my apartment was, was a quarter mile from hers, uh, her castle in Edinburgh. Uh, she never called me over for drinks or anything. What kind not of, a tea, not one tea. Nothing, not a single tea. That's or a tea ridiculous. I don't know how that could happen. Uh, I'm going to, you know, I don't know what to do with that. Go past the queen, uh, all due respect, and, and go back to Man United. I mean, look, takeover, sure. But I mean, the club's not for sale. End of story, period. Right. You know, so whatever that is. I mean, Look, the the team's not winning. If the team was winning, everything would be fine. Liverpool have an American owner. Everything's fine. But they've started that... to play better. They've started to play better. Well, yeah, the new coach has come in and done a good job. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a done chance. a good job. Yeah, yeah. How that's the job. owner's fault. How that's the owner's fault. It's just beyond me, man. Like I, I said, it was. Yeah, the old it's, just, it's the lowest hanging fruit. It's just so easy to to choose that as the problem, right? right? So um, it's it's manager upon manager that didn't make it the players haven't made it happen. This manager has come in in a good way. Uh, I thought he should have been hired one or two hires ago. Uh, I've been yeah. actually saying, kind of championing his name because I thought it's the right coach at the right stage of his career for this project. Yeah. Um, that That's an important thing. Timing is important when you make coaching hires. And I think this is the right coach for this team uh, over the last couple of years. And so now we're seeing that in and he's getting some results out of it anti-american setting and that's what it is it's anti-american you know, yeah there's a part of that absolutely there's a part totally of that. Yeah, yeah yeah so so it's uh, it's kind of annoying and speaking of americans uh, an american owner over at bournemouth so uh get used to it england uh, yeah feel the heart feel the heartbeat it's the american hey you want a good a little american story the uh sure. do you know who josh cohen is josh cohen no no okay let's talk about him. he's a goal he's an american goalkeeper Huh? Okay. Say go ahead. I, I made a rabbi joke. That's what I said. Well, we're we're heading your in that direction with this story. Okay. Goalkeeper for uh, Maccabi Haifa. Uh, their oh, team. Don't in tell Israel. me he won't play. He won't play on Saturday. He uh, was the goalkeeper this week in their Champions League uh, 
game against PSG, and yeah. uh, he gave up uh, the, a goal to Mbappe, to Neymar, and to Messi. <laughs> oh, wow. And they lost. Um, but uh, I mentioned him because, hey, this is the guy uh, who played at UC San Diego. I coached okay. against him. Wow. He was playing. I coached against him for four years. Good college goalkeeper and just a guy who stayed in the game for years. Has not been able to get a, a call from MLS, but has been in USL, has paid his dues, has moved around. He's gone to now Europe. He's landed in Israel and found himself on the field against PSG this weekend. So I just want to give uh, a tip of the cap to him. Good for him. You know, it's so funny, Chris. It seems like field players get that early chance. You get a, a year or two to get on the squad. You can stay in the sort of the taxi squad for a bit and then get on the squad. Keepers have to really be journeymen, and they seem to get their chance later. Um, so hopefully this kid, um, you know, comes back to the States because that's everybody's dream, you know, ultimately in the states so yeah yeah no you're right i mean they mature a little bit older in that position mm-hmm. uh and it's hard to get playing time because only one plays obviously so you know unless you're a starter somewhere you're you're not moving forward quote unquote and when you're trying to make a living you have to start probably so he's had to bounce around and look his story is similar just so many american stories uh the the cool part of it is you know he's popped into a situation here where he's on the field with those guys at psg and 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 got some big exposures so that's fun for that's him. fantastic no and that's valuable i guarantee you he'll be in the mls eventually if he wants to be to come back here i remember like one of my teammates at the university of massachusetts with lanny margolis he wound up um he's one of our backs he wound up he was on the maccabean team and herb sidman one of our outside backs was on the maccabean team they both came back from Israel lean and mean and ready for the season. It was, uh, it was unbelievable. The next year, Lenny hung out in the Hamptons, came back big as a house. <laughs> <laughs> but happy. <laughs> he told me, I walk into the locker room and I said, I'm the captain. I walk in, he goes, Flinny, I know. Don't say anything. <laughs> I know. I can say, man, I thought all that Mediterranean food was slimming. Apparently not. Middle Eastern food. So anyway, uh, what else? What else is the, going on? I think. Um, oh, that's good. You were talking about uh, Lewandowski in Barcelona, but look, we yeah. had an incident in Madrid. You know, you have the big derby, Atletico Madrid hosting yeah. Real Madrid. And. I don't know the words exactly, but apparently there was a song being sung before the game outside the stadium, mm-hmm. a racist song uh, against one of the black players on 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 Real Madrid, Vinicius. Oh, uh, and it's you know it was recorded and it's now gone viral, and a lot of people are demanding answers. I love the fact that it was recorded. Good. Yeah. It's yeah, and it wasn't like two, three people. It was many, many people um singing this and and again i don't know the song and or the language well enough to say what they were saying um but everyone has been complaining about it and this is a big deal uh, and I've, I've been to atletico madrid stadium and i've uh i understand the dynamic outside and how it is and it's it's a big you know walk march to the stadium and in that process this was happening which is shocking to me and really sad to see and it's going to be interesting to see what FIFA says what La Liga says, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they got to grow a pair of FIFA, you know, because it's, you know, like I said, they can make a difference in the world and there's a certain way you should act. How about this one though, too? How about the woman, the woman who played for PSG, uh, Emanata Diallo, she was charged. Do you remember that she was driving home another player for PSG and they got stopped and four people beat this, her passenger 
um, with a crowbar and she needed yeah. stitches and contusions. Well, here's, yeah. here's the story. So um, former France and PSG teammate Kiera Amarau um, was, was attacked and Amanita uh, Diallo was driving. So she's the, the number 10, the former for France. She played for France and Paris Saint-Germain as a player. Um, she's been placed back, placed in, she was an early suspect and then they let her go. And then they found these four guys and they, they, they got these guys, two of the guys said that she put them up to it. So uh, she was placed in pretrial detention on Friday, charged with aggr aggregated violence and criminal association over an attack on her teammate. Uh, aggregated or aggravated? Aggravated. What did I say? Aggregated? Aggregated. No, aggravated. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was just accumula an accumulation of people who are upset. <laughs> exactly. Um, an aggregated aggravation. Uh, she's 27 years old um, and uh, she's been arrested. So four other suspects, men allegedly involved in the attack, have also been charged. Yeah. These weird stories like Pogba's brother, you know, like you hear about that one. Pogba's brother is like extorting them. And like he's him and a group are extorting Pogba for payments. And it, it's it's uh... I heard that. I heard a little bit of that, but this is the thing. When I try to explain this to American sports fans, sometimes I said, "Guys, it's a big game. It's all over the world. There's all kinds of different cultures. Crazy stuff happening in the NFL and the NBA." I saw one man yesterday on Facebook. Just it lit up. They said the highest paid women's basketball player makes like two hundred and eighty thousand dollars a year, and they said. Steph Curry makes that in two quarters and they were saying it was unfair. And boy, you, you should see the, the, the comments that came afterwards. It's like, if you factor in how much women's basketball makes, it's, it's a, it loses money. She's overpaid and it just started, you know, mm. like that. So, so it's, uh, you know, I always say to people in the States, I'm like, you know, with, with, when they talked about FIFA corruption, like we were all high and mighty. I'm like, do you know how much, you know, these things happen, um, spousal abuse or something in the NFL. The guy gets like a game suspension or something absurd when he's broken the law. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, yeah, I always say with it, with soccer can change the world. I, I truly believe that, you know, it, it opened my eyes to the world that was out there. And so a lot of different cultures uh, that are not like our own. And, yeah, I mean, look, it's a reflection of society. So we see the bad in it sometimes as well. Uh, you know, the good, we've had a lot of good here in California. I mean, we have the NWSL has expanded to California within this last year. So now we have the team in San Diego. We have the team in LA, Angel City and the San Diego Wave. Uh, they played in front of 32,000 people this weekend. Absolutely. That's fantastic. So I always say to everybody who complains, I go, buy a ticket, go yeah. to a game. Buy a ticket, go to a game, take your kids, take your family, take your friends, you know, make it a happening because it's, it's fun to watch. It's, it's yeah. Really fun and this watch. dynamic is particularly cool because it's all under the umbrella of Southern California. It's a two hour drive between the cities. Um, there's a bit of a derby there already. And now they each have stadiums to play in um, and, and th their sellout, you know, the, the energy behind that. It's a great, it's a great starting point for NWSL and it's needed for NWSL because if they don't stay on their toes, the bigger clubs of Europe are going to step in and start to dominate the women's scene. And, and they're already going back and forth in this regard. So the NWSL is under some pressure to keep themselves at a high standard with the best players, the best venues, yeah, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Um, you're an East Coast guy. I'm back in the East Coast this week. God, after three months on the road, I'm back. <laughs> I was home for like five days. I know. I thought I, you were back I, for a while. How's the show going? 
my dog looked at me like, dude, you're leaving again? He sees yeah. my luggage. And like, yeah. Uh, show's going well. I was up in uh, Utica, New York, mm-hmm. at the Irish Cultural Center, and then in Albany, New York, at the Irish Museum. So it was great. Everybody did you ask people there. about the Albany Alley Cats, like I said? Uh, no, I did not. I did, and they drew a blank. No, <laughs> they know about it. It's a great little soccer team up there. No, they did that, and uh, I think there's a baseball team up there as well. Okay. Um, what were you so, going to uh, say? Sorry. But a great, great, you know, it was just great to be uh, up in the Erie Canal sort of area with uh, the, the leaves are thinking about changing right now. It was just just great. It was like 72 degrees. Loved mm. it, man. So it was nice to be back. Because, look, L.A., I'm getting used to this whole the hottest month of all is September, for God's sake. Yes. So it's, you know, so. It's the uh, best beach month, September. Unbelievable. So counterintuitive yeah. to us, our East Coast boys. So right, what, do, what do you have coming up with the women this week? Yeah, we uh, yeah we start a grind. We have a, a game on on Friday, and it's like the first of four games in sixteen days. So we've got a, a busy few weeks uh, once October hits. Conference begins, um, and it's one of the toughest conferences, the West Coast Conference in the country. So you know there, there's a lot of tough games ahead, but we're looking forward to it. It's uh, keep them keep them focused. Don't don't pull a clop now. After seven games, that's it. You got seven yeah. years. You have seven games. They you lose them. Um, and our, our boy, our buddy, Mike Noonan with Clemson, uh, got beat by Syracuse, which always seemed to have their number a little bit. So it's, uh, it's tough. Yeah. Tough to be the top. Tough to be the king. Oh, everyone's gunning for you. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. When, you know, you, you're just, you're Clemson, you're rolling out. You got to get through a long season, but that's not what the other teams are doing. They're, they're gearing up to play. Yeah. You're number one. You're defending. Clemson. Yeah. You're getting the, their best every single game, but that's what being at the top is about. All right. Good stuff, man. All right, Chris, good luck this week with uh, with your games as you continue to to turn that program around. Uh, LMU, I got to get to a game when I get back home. Um, what do I have? I'm When's your next week, show? Another week. Uh, Saturday night. Um, I'm okay. working with Ardell O'Hanlon, who's kind of an Irish celebrity. He's in the, he was in a show called Father Ted um, in Ireland, and it was like the number one show over in England and Ireland, Scotland, Wales, all the UK things. So um, I met him years ago in New York city. And he asked me to work with him in this little Boston Nantucket East coast tour, um, Rhode Island. So I'm, I'm doing that for the next couple of days and then I head home. So, uh, all good. So, all right. That's all the time we have today on over the ball for Chris Shamides and our producer, Ken Park, Octane Media. I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on OTB. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. 